Anyway, <laughs> hello, Jer. Hi, Jerry. <laughs> so I have a question for you. Okay. Have you ever been a super fan of anything? Like a total fanatic, like where the word fan came from. Fan comes from fanatic, fanatical meaning extreme, meaning total, meaning like you must know everything about it. You owned all the merch you owned. You bought oh. every version of something. You knew every factoid. You could quote everything about it. Wow. Um, like like Stephen Colbert right, and Lord of the right. Rings, yeah, or like yeah. uh... as far as as far as like super super fan, I I can't say that I have. I I try to temper myself because that the obsessive tendencies run wide and deep with me. So I uh, have to deliberately temper myself. Concerns over addiction are real. <laughs> Actually, there the closest thing that I think I can come to would be and this this isn't a nerdy thing necessarily uh-huh. would be um a, a, a kind of a confession <laughs> it's okay just save oh. space just you and me jeremy nobody's listening uh, nope okay all right good sadly that's old true. volkswagen beetles actually oh yes of course yeah old volkswagen beetles there there have been a number of points in my life where i have like been right on the cusp of either being able to buy one or obtaining one somehow. Uh, old Volkswagen culture in and of itself is is something that I really, really enjoyed. Now that I am older and I wouldn't say wiser, but older and, and less able to do the things with my money that, that I could in my youth. Damn children. I know, right? <laughs> you know how expensive those things are? Jeez. Uh, I'm not able to get one but i i have a feeling that maybe sometime in in my my golden years should the stars align and and you know the cards unfold the way i would like i I would love to own an old beetle unfortunately there's less and less of them so um i i I would even settle for you know a carmen guia i would love a 23 window volkswagen bus I, I would love one of those. The, the Volkswagen the, buses are yeah, so the, awesome. But the twenty-three windows, actually, those are incredibly rare. In fact, I think there's there's only a handful left. And if I ever became independently wealthy, there is a version of the Volkswagen Beetle that was done almost as a prototype. I had the name literally right there. Um, <laughs> of course. But it was a Volkswagen Beetle essentially, but it was done as a two-seat coupe. Surprisingly enough, did you know that there are four-door Volkswagen Beetles? I don't know they, that I knew that. Yeah, so they, <laughs> they're they used in Latin America as uh, taxis. Um, I, I like how you began this by saying, this is not very nerdy. <laughs> and now we're at, like, Latin American taxis have these. So There, there I, also <laughs> used to be a company where you could buy a brand new Beetle. Uh-huh. That uh, so what they would do is they would take the base plate of it and they would put it on a brand new Mexican built beetle because the beetles were built up until the late nineties, still brand new in Mexico, right. complete with air conditioning. Yeah, and uh, you could buy a brand new one and have it shipped to the United States. That's fun. So That's cool. And I, I believe a lot of the tooling is still available for those old ones. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that wasn't nerdy at all. Uh, no. <laughs> I ask, of course, because today's podcast is all about 
super fans, fandom, getting fanatic about a content. In this case, a fictional content known as Galaxy Quest. That is canon. I don't care who says. <laughs> of course, before we begin our episode, we must pay homage to our own friend, the guy whose name I still don't have in front of me. Dagnabbit! His name is on the post on our website. Now, I'm going to put him in the show notes of this episode, the composer of our very own theme song, Space Theme. Jeremy, hit the button. Doop. mentioned before today's episode is a one-off as we like to call Mm -hmm. the episodes about a single piece of media that uh, we're only going to do one episode of because it is is sort of self-contained and one thing and galaxy quest fits the bill but i think everyone has to agree that galaxy quest is totally correct and good for uh two guys in a franchise that is perfectly appropriate for oh, yeah. two guys yeah. in a franchise because it itself is nerdy in that it is a science fiction movie while at the same time layering on that fine meta commentary of fandom <laughs> and and making fun of and simultaneously celebrating fandom and nerdiness. Let us begin with some info facts. Galaxy Quest was directed by Dean Pariseau, mm-hmm. which is actually... A really interesting, important fact that I have learned in my preparation for this episode. (laughs) Then the screenplay was by David Howard and Robert Gordon. Interesting stories there. I'm all full of uh, behind-the-scenes stuff because of what we'll talk about later. The story was from David Howard, produced by Mark Johnson, Charles Neuwirth, and it starred Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, Tony Shalhoub, Sam Rockwell, Daryl Chill Mitchell, with cinematography by Jerry Zielinski, edited by Don Zimmerman, music by David Newman, production company was Grand Via Productions, distributed by DreamWorks Pictures, another important little uh, mm-hmm. fact. Release date of December 25, Christmas movie, y'all, 1999. Does, does that make it a Christmas movie? No, it's a oh. Christmas release. Oh. <laughs> Although it is Tim Allen, and his only other film credit up to this point was The Santa Claus. So Mm. that's it. So it's a Christmas movie, official. (laughs) Sure, okay. (laughs) With a running time of a lean 102 minutes, a budget of $45 million, and a paltry $90.7 million brought into the box office. That's that's it? Uh, Yeah, at the time it was, and, and this is the thing, when DreamWorks decided to distribute it, all right, I'll jump ahead a little bit here. (laughs) <laughs> in addition to Galaxy Quest the movie, there also exists, since we have now passed the 20th anniversary of the movie, 1999, so in, uh, I'm not a math guy, help me out, <laughs> HVAC man. <laughs> 2019. 2019, thank you. So in 2019, it's 20th anniversary, that yeah. uh, 
Galaxy this... Quest came out with both a book. There's this large, beautiful, like, table coffee. Uh, table coffee. <laughs> coffee <laughs> table, table book. This beautiful coffee table book full of full-color, glossy images uh, of behind-the-scenes information that I have been reading. I'm about a third of the way through it. As well as to celebrate the 20th anniversary because despite its box office kind of it, it did all right. It pulled itself out of a hole. It was not officially a flop, but because it wasn't great, it has now achieved cult status because it wasn't a huge box office hit. They also did a documentary celebrating Galaxy Quest's 20th anniversary, and the title of the uh, documentary is Never Give Up, Never Surrender. Never give up. Never give up. Never surrender. Never surrender. Never give up, never surrender. Never give up, never surrender. Never give up, never surrender. <laughs> never give up, never surrender. Oh, shut no. up. No, never give up, never surrender. Never give up, never surrender. Damn the residents get full speed ahead. <laughs> and that is that I watched it on Amazon Prime. So if you're an Amazon Prime subscriber and have that video service, you can watch the documentary, which provides a lot of the same stories as what's in the book, but the book has just more of it in there. And one of those has to do with the fact that when the movie was edited, and especially when the movie was marketed, there was a lot of tug of war between the folks who made the movie, who made a movie for everyone. They were like, this is not just a kiddie film. This is a movie for everyone. Adults will love this just as much as kids. But the studio was like, we need a broad comedy, silly kids movie to come out on Christmas. The, the original trailer for it makes it look like it's just a total slapstick kiddie movie. <laughs> In the far reaches of the galaxy, a civilization is under siege. We are all that is left. They've searched the universe for a leader. Stay tuned for scenes from next week's Galaxy Quest. Never give up, never surrender. You will save us. What they got. Never give up and never surrender were struggling TV actors. You are our last hope. Where's my limo? Okie dokie. And they're about to put on a command performance. Eight million light years away. We are actors, not astronauts. You are our protectors. That was a hell of a thing. Now, Laredo, take us out. You gotta move to the right. Would you sit, sit your ass out. down? You wanna drive this to... Acting like heroes. The whole thing was just a misunderstanding. May not be enough. They look like little children. Hi, little guy. Oh, DreamWorks Pictures presents... Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, 
Galaxy Quest. You're just gonna have to kill it. We'll go for the mouth to throw his vulnerable spots. It's a rocket that not any vulnerable spots. <laughs> so that when people actually went and saw it, they were like, wait a minute, this is really good for me. I'm really enjoying this. The adults in the audience. And so uh and so that's uh, that's one of the one of the interesting little factoids about the way in which it came out and why it didn't why it wasn't seen in the theater originally by as many people as like all of the cast and crew <laughs> thought should see it in the theater. You, you know what's mildly depressing though is that this coming up Christmas it'll be twenty five years. Hush now, hush I'm, now. I'm, sorry, I. I I in, speak the horrible. In things. our family, we call that uh, scary math, and we don't. We don't. We're not going to okay, do scary right. math here. I, I like we, that. We do not gonna... want to depress our listeners. <laughs> I, I am. I am going to use that scary math. Scary math. Scary yes. Math. Yes. We've done that for years. When someone does the math and says, "Well, you know, so and so will graduate. Your your toddler will graduate high school in the year." And we're like, don't do that. That's scary math. Don't do scary math. You know, <laughs> how old will you be when your child graduates from high school? We don't do that. That's no, scary no, math. No, 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 no. And yet now we're reaching all of those milestones because my kids are graduating from high school. Anyway, let's let's return <laughs> to Galaxy Quest for the synopsis. If you did not watch it, I I weep Shame for you. you. I mourn for you. Shame. You really should uh, fix that, and maybe this episode will convince you to. I brought with me uh, two synopses today. One, uh, one sort of the straight man, and one sort of the comic relief. Bal- just as Galaxy Quest does a wonderful job of balancing, you know, straight dramatic movie, sci-fi adventure action, and broad comedy silliness, I brought both kinds of synopses. So, which would you like to hear first, Jeremy? Uh, my opinion is we go with the straight man first. I oh yeah. Um, this is. Mr. Still Smiling's Galaxy Quest, a film in three minutes. A, the, a YouTube, another YouTube recap. But not from our friends at Movie in Minutes, but from Mr. Still Smiling's Galaxy Quest, a film in three minutes. I will link and embed the video on the page, uh, you know, on the post. Captain's Log, Stardate 12251999. The intrepid crew of the NSCA Protector, commanded by one Peter Quincy Taggart, are engaged against the might of their most challenging enemy yet, fandom. Toiling day after day in agonizing conventions, quoting lines and signing autographs for the masses, bitterly resentful of each other's existence. But don't tell actor Jason Nesmith that as he may decide to go for broke and end up causing an intergalactic fiasco in Dean Parasot's 1999 sublime comedy, Galaxy Quest, a film that takes loving aim at the Star Trek franchise's endless tropes whilst still paying the series the deepest of respect and features one of the best on-screen ensembles ever gathered. Set initially on the planet Earth, the story follows the cast of a long-since-cancelled television series, Galaxy Quest, the star of which, Nesmith, played by Tim Allen, leads a totally selfish existence, oblivious to the disdain his co-stars feel towards him. However, when a group of outwardly 
awkward fans beg for his help and then kidnap him, it's not long before Nesmith discovers that they are actually aliens, known as Fermions, who received the show's transmissions from space and based their entire culture on the broadcasts. And when an evil alien warlord threatens to destroy the Fermions' existence, it's not long before Nesmith brings along his unlikely crew to help them act their way out of danger. Whether you are a devoted trekker till the day you die or someone indifferent to science fiction, it will be almost impossible not to find Galaxy Quest's tongue-in-cheek mocking of the genre utterly endearing. From Tim Allen's pitch-perfect arrogant swagger as the Shatner-inspired commander, to Sigourney Weaver's hilariously pointless role as the ship's communications officer, to Sam Rockwell's nameless former extra who constantly suffers from neurotic despair, the entire cast play their double roles with a flair that only makes you yearn for more. But the brightest light on this fictional spaceship bridge is Alan Rickman's Dr. Lazarus, a theatre-trained Shakespearean thespian whose downcast demeanour towards Nesmith and the show's fans is hard not to laugh out loud at. The film's production quality, from its visual effects to the design of the ship, is filled with self-referential tributes to the fictional show, with a particular highlight being when Nesmith and Lieutenant DeMarco must navigate through the Chompers, a completely illogical corridor of giant metal crushy things that serves no actual purpose whatsoever. But, fan service aside, it's the earnest heart of Galaxy Quest that keeps making this over 20-year-old comedy so timeless, a loving tribute to Gene Roddenberry's original vision of a better humanity that is equally unafraid at being as irreverent as it can be to its most devoted fanatics. By Grab Far's Hammer, you shall be entertained. Oh, by Grabthar's hammer. Thank you, Mr. Still Smiling. I thought that was an excellently narrated uh, recap. I, I agree. I like that. That uh, was I good. That was very well done. Now, for uh, because Galaxy Quest is meta commentary on a genre, I thought, why not have meta commentary on the meta commentary and play for our audience? The Honest Trailer. <laughs> Are you familiar with Honest Trailers, Jeremy? Uh, yeah, I've, I've watched some of them. They're, oh, yeah. they're, they're pretty good. In a universe full of crappy Star Trek movies... What does God need with a starship? The best one in decades had nothing to do with Star Trek, but also everything to do with Star Trek. Whoa. Galaxy Quest. Suit up for a big budget sci-fi meta comedy about niche fandom in the 90s. Wow, it's like they were trying to lose money. In this satire of old school Trek, spot on portrayal of fan culture, and hilarious character-driven comedy that morphs into an honest-to-goodness action flick and ends with the film's actors playing the show's actors playing the crew of a starship, acting out the show in reality in front of actors playing fans of the fake show who pretend that it's real except that it is real. And is this movie genius or did I just smoke whatever Tony Shalhoub is on? Listen, they're, they're telling me the... Uh... The, the, the generators won't take it. When washed-up TV actors get mistaken for their characters on an old sci-fi show, their egos and incompetence could doom an entire civilization. And when your movie needs a bumbling washed-up TV actor with a massive ego, you call Tim Allen. 
The Tool Man Shines is a faded Captain Kirk type who wouldn't last 10 seconds in the hashtag MeToo era. The mist of the strange planet is filling my head with such thoughts. But Alan's best and possibly only example of real acting is improved by the rest of the great cast. As Sigourney Weaver plays against her type of the strong female lead to play two melons supported by a wetsuit. Sam Rockwell, who in the film's only flaw, does not dance at any point. And the late great Alan Rickman, who walks the razor's edge of playing an actor full of contempt for Tim Allen and being an actor full of contempt for Tim Allen. All right, this is always about you, isn't it? What an insane collection of talent. Did you know Dwight's in it? The crew even has the Mythbusters. For all we know, that's Destiny's Child. Stare in awe at a film that nailed the rise of fan culture back when the internet looked like this. That website's still up, by the way. That absolutely nails our obsessive cataloging of pointless details. The sequence is 2242. The fact that most hardcore fans mistake fiction for reality. We program the food synthesizer for each of you based on the regional menu of your birthplace. And the insight that a fan's real fantasy isn't going on an adventure. It's finding out that all the time you spend watching TV wasn't a colossal waste of time. It's all real. I knew it! I knew it! The only thing they couldn't predict is how much money you could make off nerds these days. If Galaxy Quest was real, they'd have a CBS All Access show no one watches, and a crossover episode with the Orville. Wait, is the Orville ripping off Star Trek or Galaxy Quest? So kick back and enjoy a truly underrated film, or at least underviewed, because this is a movie with something for everyone that got marketed like a dumb screwball comedy. You wanna drive this thing? They're not just acting like heroes. But anyone who sees it loves it, especially the people in charge. We've all gone on record as saying one of our favorite Trek films is Galaxy Quest. Right, that, uh, and see, it's JJ's favorite, and everyone agrees with his opinions, right? Starring to infinity and be, I mean, never give up, never surrender, Nipley. No joke here, just a hardcore thank you to Alan Rickman, the marvelous Mr. Monk. Hi, I'm a nerd, and that's a PC. And Comic Con. Star Trek Deep Cut 9. That's not what she said. <laughs> I don't think I could have summed up that movie any better. I know. I could, that's Brilliant. why I couldn't. I couldn't just play one of those two. You no, know? no, the straight of course man not. and the comedy. The straight man and the comedy. So, Jeremy, I've yes. been talking for quite some time. Uh, <laughs> you rewatched Galaxy Quest for this podcast. What you did would... you think? I rewatched it with my youngest son, who sat there slack jawed, gawking at it. He had never seen it. He had never seen it. He... That's so funny! Oh my god, we are the same people. I watched it with my eldest son and my wife, both of whom had never seen it. Oh, really? Yeah! No, That's my, so fun. My wife actually turned me on to it years ago. She's like, you haven't seen Galaxy Quest? Like, <laughs> I can't say that I have. She's like, and you call yourself a Trek nerd? <laughs> and so... <laughs> That's awesome. It, it is it is probably the greatest homage film that you could ever ever ask for. <laughs> and of course, this episode is dedicated to Alan Rickman. We miss you. Uh, it it is it is an amazing film. 
I love it. I'll watch it again, over and over again. So what? Is, so, so how did your youngest son take it? He loved it. Yeah. He he thought it was great. He you know he's of that age. He's he'll soon be eleven, but he's of that age where that slapstick comedy and the the weirdness of it appealed to him. But he didn't get the inside jokes in it, which is fine. Yep. But yeah, it, it it was one of those films that you could you know convince your spouse to go to because it's a funny film that's good for the kids but then at the same time you can sit there and geek out and like all the 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 little nerd stuff the easter eggs and the homages and all of that stuff to it it is the perfect film i watched with my wife and my eldest son um neither of whom had ever seen it before I know, I know. Well, I fixed it now, see? Yes, yes. My eldest son, of course, loved it and got a lot, understood a whole lot of the the references and the reverence and the making <laughs> fun of. My wife's response was, I'm really glad I got to see this after being married to you for 20 years. Because... <laughs> Because, she said, because I appreciate it so much more now than I would have back then. So 20 years of marriage was simply preparation for watching Galaxy Quest. That's right, that's right. That's right. You, you have found your calling here. That's right. It's, it's, a, very, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very small niche, yes. but it's mine. So what, uh, all right, how do, we, how do we talk about this? Because it's just so good and everything is in it is, is so very good. You know the thing that the thing that that struck me in this watching because I've seen it many times over the years. The thing that struck me in this watching the, the 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 phrase that kept coming back to me as I watched it was they do such a delicate dance, and mm-hmm. what I mean by that is they bounce so flawlessly between on the one hand broad comedy, you know, like just ridiculous silliness, you know, right, like yeah. like a drunk hungover you know, Jason <laughs> Nesmith. Uh, you know, looking looking over his shades, looking around, going, "Wow, usually it's just some cardboard walls. You guys went all out, you know, thinking that he's at some fan <laughs> event, and right. he's like, uh, just give him the give him the blue blasters and give him some of the red blasters. That should take care of it, you know, not realizing that he's doing something for real. And then, and then, like you know, five minutes later, yeah, he retaliated, and half our crew died. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, and if you think too much about it, the 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 amount of sentient life that is killed in this movie is staggering. There's, like, like Saris has basically committed near genocide of the Thermians because the crew of the ga- of the Protector is like all that's left of them. Their planet's gone and destroyed, but we're laughing our asses off at Rock Monster throwing Tim Allen around without his shirt on. So <laughs> the fact that they can go from that and then have the moments that are those key dramatic moments mm, in mm-hmm. which suddenly you went from, wait a minute, I was laughing hysterically five minutes ago and now I'm about to cry because Mathazar is learning the truth of things or because Quellick is about to die is just it's just masterfully done in a, in a way that again comes back to I mentioned I teased earlier that that we had to talk about the director right, of the movie right. because had you been aware of the fact that Dean Pariso who directed the movie was not the movie's first director no no I was not the producers when they went out to find a director mm-hmm. They first, when they were shopping the script around, 
the first director of Galaxy Quest who signed on and began working the movie. A whole lot of the department heads he hired and they had started production design and creature design and and began and it was in the beginning of the casting was Harold Ramis. Really? Yes, Harold Ramis oh. of Caddyshack and Ghostbusters. Mm. And he was the name in comedy, yeah, you know, yeah, back at this time. And everyone involved in Galaxy Quest was so excited to have Harold Ramis helming Galaxy Quest. He was the director. Mm -hmm. And then what ended up happening was the studio and Jeffrey Katzenberger, because it was Steven Spielberg, Jeffrey Katzenberger, and oh, the other guy whose name I can't remember, my apologies, formed DreamWorks Pictures right. as a brand SAG. new theater, yep. uh, you know, a brand new studio yeah. at this time, and they needed hits. They needed big movies to prove that DreamWorks was a thing that was going to survive, that it, was, mm -hmm. that it wasn't just a flash-in-the-pan kind of thing. And so Jeffrey Katzenberger, who was one of the heads of DreamWorks, wanted Tim Allen as the star of the, of the movie. Harold Ramis really had his heart set on Kevin Klein. Kevin really? Klein being to play the role of Jason okay, Nesbitt. Okay, okay. Right? All right. And you can kind of see I where that's see going, it, yeah, right? Yeah. You can kind of see that. And both the book and the documentary film tell the story of when Harold Ramis and Jeffrey Katzenberger and Tim Allen met for a breakfast meeting mm -hmm. to discuss the movie. And Harold expressed his skepticism over Tim Allen, who he didn't really know very well. It was like, he's just a comedian who had a sitcom, right, right, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Whether, you know, he, he was like, I don't know if he has, you know, and he wanted Kevin Klein really mm -hmm. badly at this breakfast. Tim is eating, Tim, Tim is like eating his breakfast and they're having a lovely conversation. And then, and then Harold express, Harold Ramis expresses some uncertainty and Tim, like, puts his fork down and is like, oh, wait, I don't have this part. And Jeffrey Katzenberger looks at Ramis, and Ramis looks at Katzenberger, and Tim Allen is like, do the two of you need a minute? Shall I just? And he excuses himself <laughs> from the table, and, like, the two of them. Ultimately, Harold Ramis leaves the film. And mm. this is, and, and then the producers talk about the fact that once a film is up and running, you know, it's like a giant train. Yeah, and once yeah, the train you, you is on the stop. tracks and rolling, you you can't if you stop it, you risk killing the project, right? Yeah, yeah you and lose so, the momentum. So the mm -hmm. the producer Mark Johnson was a personal friend of Dean Pariso and said and basically kind of bullied Dean Pariso into taking the job. Like he was like he was like Dean was unsure if he was ready because Dean Pariso at the time he had only directed one movie. Home Fries, mm -hmm. which was his connection to, to Daryl Miller Mitchell, he had only directed Home Fries, which was this low-budget comedy, and was not a director in the category of big-budget, sci-fi, must-deliver blockbuster movies. The director, Mark Johnson, knew him, knew mm -hmm. he could do it, and said, uh, I, I kind of need you to do this. And so he stepped in and kind of took over and, and just ran with, you know, sort of just ran with the train as it was rolling, and it turned out that the story that Harold Ramis was going to tell was almost entirely comedic. Mm -hmm. There was a, there were chunks of the script that the screenwriter had added for Harold Ramis that almost all came out 
with Pariso because Pariso, as a lifelong sci-fi fan who who reverenced mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. the source material, he was like, no, no, we need to play this like a drama. We need to take this seriously. That's how this story works. And he was so right, you know? Yeah. And yeah, the, no, that's... And what's funny is the only day that Steven Spielberg, one of the heads of DreamWorks, Mm -hmm. visited the set was the day that Tim Allen acted, did the Mathazar scene, where Mathazar is being tortured on the table. Right. And Saris forces him to tell, uh, forces Tim Allen's character, you know, forces Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Jason to tell Mathazar the truth that they are actors, that they lied. (laughs) <laughs> that they are not real people. That their historical documents were were fiction, and uh, and the heartbreak of it, and the 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 dramatic acting that Tim Allen does. Explain to him who you all really are. Tell him. Explain. Mathazar, there's no such person as Captain Taggart. My name is Jason Nesmith. I am a actor. We're all actors. He doesn't understand. Explain as you would a child. We, uh, we pretended. lied. Yes, you understand that, don't you, Mathazar? Mathazar, I'm not a commander. uh, There's no National Space Exploration Administration. We we don't have a uh, ship. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) That ship is that big. Inside I've seen many rooms. You've seen plywood sets that look like the inside. It, it, our brilliant sphere is, is wire with plaster around it. And, and our, uh, <laughs> our digital conveyor is a uh, Christmas tree lights. It's a decoration, it's all fake. Just like me. It's difficult to explain. On our planet, we, uh, we pretend to, uh, to, to entertain. And, uh, I am so sorry. God, I am so sorry. Was the day that Steven Spielberg was there. And so Steven Spielberg comes up to Tim Allen afterwards and was like, that was really good, man. That was really good. And the snottier, <laughs> the snottier story about it was that um, was that Alan Rickman was by the time they had done two or three takes, and Tim Allen had really gotten into the feels of it. He was like, "I really, I really don't like the way I feel right now. Can I, can I go take a few minutes back in my trailer?" And the director was like, "Sure, Tim. Yeah, go go do that. You, you're doing a great job." And then and then the story goes that Alan Rickman turned to somebody next to him and was like I think Tim Allen just experienced acting for the first time (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh man, that was, that's great. <laughs> so, so anyway, as you can tell, I really enjoyed this uh, this documentary and this book that I'm reading about it with these background stories. But it does all go toward the idea that this cast was a weird mixture. Mm, of, yeah, yeah. You know, because there was there was Tim Allen and Chill Mitchell coming from like straight up stand up comedy. I mean, mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. Daryl Mitchell was a rapper before he was an actor. Right. Uh, you know, so they came to set and they they had no process. They they did not come from any kind of drama school or 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 theory of acting. Whereas then you get like um Sam Rockwell and mm-hmm. Alan Rickman who have their very serious process right. in which right. a few minutes before they yell action they must they have to get into their character and they they need their their quiet time while Tim Allen is just ripping fart jokes and noises <laughs> and everything else in the background and so the two of the and all of that bouncing off of each other were ways just made the magic that that is Galaxy Quest um, but I mean, yeah I don't think I don't think they could have done this film honestly without Tim Allen and Alan Rickman. Yeah. The the dynamic between the two is amazing. You can see the chemistry there. Yeah. Um and, and it the character growth also in a movie that's 100 minutes long. Yeah. Like you know, the, the character growth yeah. especially between those two, you know, heavy hitters, you've got the heavy hitter of comedy and the the heavy hitter of drama. Those, and then you've got those, the sci-fi heavy the, hitter in Sigourney Weaver. In Sigourney Weaver, you know. yeah, she 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 brought that that uh, sci-fi uh, horror esque background to it. And, and the second tier actors are yes. just, I mean, I mean, Tony Shalhoub and Sam Rockwell, for God's sake. You, you know, I I take offense that you call Tony Shalhoub a second tier. No, actor. no, I, I know, the second tier characters. I know, I know. That's a joke. Tier actors. First, is my <laughs> point. I love Tony Shalhoub. <laughs> he is a gem. Oh my gosh. He is a gem. They they talked about the fact that uh, you know the director was like, no offense to the writer who was sitting next to him on the couch in the documentary, but he was, no offense, but that character was really underwritten, and it was Tony Shalhoub who brought out so much fun to that character through the physicality, through yeah. the snack eating, through the the way he delivered but, his lines. Uh, through, you know, they, they said that the uh, the generator can't take uh, much. Way, much way, to, way to go, guys! Way yeah. to go! Hey, Commander, listen, we found some beryllium on a nearby planet, and we might be able to get there if we reconfigure the solar matrix in parallel for endothermic propulsion. What do you think? We'll do that. Right. That's, that's, that's right again. Let's come, come on, group hug. Come on. <laughs> you know, it wasn't until like the fourth time I watched Galaxy Quest that I realized, like, oh, he's high the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Oh yeah. Oh. But. Uh, <laughs> Uh, what? So, I, yeah, I keep I keep trying to find the right time to insert by Grabthar's hammer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. 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 Well, what I think it's value? now when we when we talk about <laughs> when we talk about Alan Rickman bringing the gravitas. You yeah. know, I mean, I think the most affecting scene 
right after, you know, like right next to, but I think maybe a little bit even more affecting scene, companion to the Mathazar learning the truth mm-hmm. scene, has to be Quillick's death. Yes. Because Quillick, yeah. Quillick dying, you know, the entire movie, the mm-hmm. entire movie, Alan Rickman has fought against and hated yes. that, the catchphrase. The- you know, the, the, the catchphrase of Buy Grab Darth Hammer. And it's only in, when Quillick, who who confessed that he's a, that Dr. Lazarus is a father figure and has tried to live his entire life by the philosophies of mm-hmm. this, this fictional alien species, when he's dying in his arms, Alan Rickman delivering Buy Grab Darth Hammer, by the, you know, you it's... will be avenged, and meaning it, and wanting to say it, and meaning it, and then immediately going out and like, ah! <laughs> going after all of the, the aliens. It's the, just amazing. The way that though you you can you could see his disdain for just the entire character that he played on TV. You could see the disdain for it, yep. and especially his little catchphrase there, his little slogan, and then delivering it at, towards the end of the film. Unironically, That's and right. yep. and in a way that doesn't feel cheesy or forced. Yeah, that yeah. I think is testament to his acting ability. It's just not fair. All right, Quellic, let's get back to the commander. I'm, I'm shot. And the writing ability, the directing ability, the the, all of these things that make it literally the perfect film. Yeah, yeah. And I would yeah. say that it tops even The Godfather as a perfect film. It is. It is it, so good. It is so good. And it, and it does so much of it does go back to the writer because to give, as you mentioned earlier, to give excellent character development to how many characters i mean there's the right. there's the captain there's dr lazarus everybody gets something 
You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. All the characters the get, something get something to do. You know, and that goes back to the writer. He describes when he cracked the story because the original story. You'll notice there's two credits. There's the screenwriter credit for Bob Gordon, mm-hmm. and then there's the story credit for David Howard. Right. David Howard had the original idea, but his original idea was for a movie called Captain Starshine, in mm. which Captain Starshine was about, the movie was about a washed-up actor who played Captain Starshine in a 1970s sci-fi TV show mm-hmm. who resented the fact that he had been pigeonholed as this captain right. and never got any more of a career. Mm-hmm. And that was really kind of the genesis. I mean, it's almost like write a movie based on Shatner's SNL skit about getting a life, you know what I mean? <laughs> kind of a thing. That was the original genesis kernel of the idea, and it was the the screenwriter, Bob Gordon, who flipped it upside down and said, no, no, what if the actor who played the captain loved being the captain and desperately and would do anything to be the captain again? Mm. And that was sort of then, that was the genesis for uh, for Galaxy Quest. And he said that he didn't crack the story and the whole script until he, figure, until he figured out that the movie should not just be about the captain, but should be about the captain and the crew. Mm-hmm. And when he started looking at the crew through the lens of his love of Star Trek in terms of who the character should be, you know, like right. the the female communications officer who doesn't seem to have a job except repeating what the computer says. You know, I have one job on this ship. It's stupid, but I'm going <laughs> to do it. <laughs> yeah. Can it be repaired? Computer, can it be repaired? Damage to Brilliant Sphere, irreparable. Ugh. New source of beryllium must be secured. We need another one. Uh, you broke the ship. You broke the bloody ship. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. <clears throat> Computer, is there a, a replacement beryllium sphere on board? Computer, is there a replacement beryllium sphere on board? Negative. Uh. No uh. reserve beryllium sphere uh. exists on board. No, we have no extra beryllium sphere on board. You know, that is really getting annoying. Look, I have one job on this lousy ship. It's stupid, but I'm going to do it, okay? Sure, no problem. And then uh, from that to then picking all the pieces, all of, you know, mm. putting all the pieces in place, from the, the engineer to the nameless to the nameless red shirt, you know, let's, yeah. let's call it what it is. You know, Guy the red shirt, his name is Guy, for God's sake, which is just awesome writing. <laughs> you know, it was, he said, he said at that point, all the pieces began to fall into place. Yeah, from yeah the yeah. Shakespearean actor who you know that kind of thing. And in the in the documentary, Brent Spiner does this amazing impression of Patrick Stewart when Patrick Stewart met the director of Galaxy Quest. Patrick Stewart's response to Galaxy Quest was, "I love your film." <laughs> <laughs> of course, Brent Spiner does a much better impression course, than I yeah. do of Patrick Stewart. Patrick saw it and was blown away by it. And uh, what did he say? I love this film. But and, that was the thing. And this this is this is fresh on the heels of the ending of Star Trek: The Next Generation. So TNG was still very very much fresh, and they were still coming out with the films, the, yeah. the Star Trek films. So. Yeah. It, yeah. I think I Brent think Spiner's is... commentary in the documentary was, "Why didn't we do this?" 
<laughs> Brilliant story. Oh, yeah. Brilliant story. Oh, yeah. Now, this is a great transition. The only, I think the only part of the story that we haven't talked about much, other than the amazing production design, we can talk about the look of it, is it, it holds up so good. I mean, it's you've got the cream of the crop doing the work. Stan Winston Studios for mm-hmm, the creature mm-hmm. effects and ILM doing all this, all the, the VFX. But we haven't talked about Justin Long. Brandon and his crew of the fans. And, and that's a great set. And, and, and fandom. Yeah, yeah, fandom. fandom. You know? What's funny is, again, with that tug of war between DreamWorks Mm-hmm. And the movie and the filmmakers, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there was there was a clamoring by the filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, by the studio. There was the studio had actually at one point said, "We want to pull out the whole subplot with the fans." And would have killed the movie. It, exactly, it would have killed the movie. That's exactly what the filmmakers said. They were yeah. like, "There is you can't do it." That is the beating heart of this film. Is the fact that you know is that moment when when Tim Allen says, you know, Brandon. Brandon, Brandon, it's all real. I knew it! Hello? Anybody there? Hello? Hello? Got him. Listen to me. This is Jason Nesmith. I play Commander Peter Quincy Taggart of NSEA Protector. We accidentally traded boxes the other day when we bumped into each other. Oh. Oh, Commander, I see. Okay. What's your name, son? Brandon? Brandon, I remember you from the convention, right? You asked all those little technical questions about the ship, and I was a little short with you. Yes, yes, I, I know, Commander, and uh, I actually wanna, just wanted to tell you that I, I thought a lot about what you said. It's okay, now listen. But, but I want you to know that I'm not a complete brain case, okay? <laughs> I understand completely that it's just a TV show. Oh, hold I know there's no William Wait a minute. Stop, spear, stop no for a second. Stop. Wait. No ship. It's all real. Oh my god, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh um but yeah, the fandom and the the and and I love the fact that the honest trailers that we played the audio of earlier, you know, names it as like one of the characters is Comic Con. <laughs> is one of the characters <laughs> of the movie cuz it is and it's so important. Have, have you ever been to uh, a convention? I... I I will confess that I have not. Oh, not. Jer, Jer. I am... I, I am I, you know, mm. I want to. I want yeah, to. But yeah. I haven't. I've never been. Mm. So I've, I've been to uh, a few cons, actually. I've been to uh, a Star Trek convention up in Maryland. It was a little tiny, tiny, tiny thing. I mean, there was maybe four or five hundred people total there, and that included the 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 merchant merch section. And there was there was nobody really famous on the panels. I like how five hundred like people is a tiny tiny thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, all you have to do is is look at some place like Comic Con where it's five hundred thousand oh, yeah. oh, people. Yeah, yeah. I primarily go to anime conventions. And nerddom gravitates towards nerddom mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you you wind up at these conventions where you have people that are you know you see some of this the star trek conventions and then people are wearing star wars cosplay sure sure yeah you know cosplayers. I, 
and you you have um, anime conventions where people will show up as video game cosplayers sure, or sure. Yeah. you know so yeah. it's it's an incredibly fun experience at a convention but there's also some negative sides of that fandom you know the the nerddom and things like that i think the one that's probably most uh, apparent is the gatekeeping. It's, well, you're not a true fan because you don't have this or this or this or you haven't seen that or this. Any true fan, how can you say that you're a fan of something because you're not like me? Uh-huh. So that, that gatekeeping is very strong. Luckily, I, I would say a good 60 or 70%, a good majority of nerds out there are just excited that there are other people that are excited about something in the same way mm -hmm, maybe mm -hmm. not to the same extent for every one gatekeeper there's two or three or four or five people that will come to their defense and that's what's and I, that i also now i haven't been to cons mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. just my experience of just letting my nerdiness be known in the world you know one of the things that i find real interesting about Galaxy Quest in particular is that it is it is a product of 1999. It is yeah. a product of the early days of the web when mm -hmm. when instead of referring to the internet we most often spoke of the world wide web, you know, Information and, and super highway. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and the idea of Brandon and his friends mm -hmm. uh, you know being online and uh, you have some of the schematics and, and I have some others of the schematics and nobody has a full copy of the whole thing and so we've got to get so-and-so on the video chat mm -hmm. to uh, to do that. And and frankly, the, the, the way that Brandon and his friends network online at that time was cutting edge. I mean, oh, to have yes. video, to have a video window where you could video chat, that was Brandon and his friends were clearly wealthy because that was that was not cheap stuff to be able to do at that time right and uh but the idea being that the internet allowed nerds to find each other that mm -hmm. at that time to be a nerd you know when we were growing up because right. this is basically what we're talking about is when we when you and i were, we're growing up you know i mean age, 99 yeah. was was when i was you know i was then in my mid-20s that 99 but just prior to that you know being a nerd meant you often felt excluded you yeah. often felt uh derided you were often you know mm -hmm. to be mm -hmm. to be a nerd meant you you had to be careful about who you told what oh, yeah. because the bullies would come looking for you because mm -hmm. nerddom mm -hmm. was something that was uh scorned and put mm -hmm. down mm -hmm. and it was the conventions and it was the internet i think those are kind of the two yeah. things that kind of sprang up and grew up together side by side. The cons and the internet were kind of two things that grew up together that allowed more and more nerds to come together and know each other and feel supported and feel included by something that then ultimately, um, you know, as as Will Wheaton, who's a prominent voice in the in the Never Surrender, Never Give Up, Never Surrender documentary said, um, you know, the nerds inherited the earth, you know? Yeah, I mean, if you yeah. look at pop culture today, oh, yeah. I mean, the superheroes and, and everything, and the sci-fi and everything else, uh, it's, 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 I imagine, you know, like you were saying, your experience of cons are there's, there's the small percentage of gatekeepers who are the exclusionary, snobby, snooty yeah, yeah, nerds. Yeah. Then there's the larger percentage of, the nerds who 
just celebrate and love and include and just want to mm-hmm. be part of it. it. Reminds me of another quote. Will Wheaton said that in his mind, cosplay is pure love, is just an expression oh, of pure love. Yeah, that cosplay yeah. is an expression of pure love. And I and I really like that description. Can I, can I say, though, yeah. uh, having been to a, a lot of cons, I, I can't even count how many. One of my favorite things is there there are two things about cosplay that I really, really love, makes me super happy, makes me go squee, <laughs> is when I see children cosplaying. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's not just when the, the parents design the costume and put them in it, you know, and the kids are like, Mom, you're making me wear a costume. But uh, when the kids have a hand in it, and also when people, this is going to sound cheesy, but when they cosplay, but they don't, have either the money or whatever or the imagination to put into making these amazing costumes although those are great but they're not home seamstresses and that kind of thing when when they when they do something just purely for the love of it and they don't care if it's if it's it's, cardboard boxes with some spray paint dripping off exactly exactly yeah it is you're right it is pure love pure love yeah and seeing people get excited about that pure love yeah you know, those are some of the ones also that win these these cosplay contests because it's not that they did the absolute perfect X or Y character. It's yeah. that they did it out of that love. Yeah, yeah. You're right, you're right. I so. wonder if there's a third category of con attendees now hmm. that sci-fi fantasy, you know, with Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. House of the Dragon, with all these... You know, with with so much sci-fi and fantasy, and especially superhero mm-hmm. culture becoming pop culture, you look at something like San Diego Comic Con. You mentioned with like the five hundred thousand participants, with the with the Hall H and mm-hmm. and all of the various presentations where right. the new shows get announced and trailers and the cast come out and everything being such massive monster events. I wonder if the cons have a third category of attendee, which is the casual fan. Oh, of course. You know, those of who course. are not nerds, yeah. but who are fans of the stuff that's suddenly popular, and they and they either are mm-hmm. interested enough to go and to learn the new stuff, or fascinated by those who are real nerds oh, yeah. and fans yeah. to to go and participate and see what that's like. And I, I just wonder how that has changed the culture and or the experience of cons over just the last couple of decades. Oh, de- definitely, definitely. And and even I saw it even in the the earlier days when I was going to conventions, there were there were people that were there just to have a good time. They weren't necessarily uber fans. They weren't the ones that cosplay or have weird random factoids crammed in their brain. They <laughs> they're just there because they wanted to have fun. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. And that's primarily what it's about. But I, I do want to relay a little bit of a story here about uh, one of the cons I went to. Y- you can't help but get wrapped up in, in the excitement of a really good convention, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we were at one in Orlando that is now, it had run its course uh, and is now over by a good decade or so. It's called J-Con. Okay, mm-hmm. and it was primarily, of course, anime, but it was also some fantasy, some sci-fi, video games, things like that. Mm-hmm. We were standing in line for some panel or show or something like that, and people would walk by, and they said, "Oh, what are you in line for?" I don't know, just get in line. <laughs> <laughs> I 
And so we started this thing called Line Groupie, okay, where you just get in a random line for no reason. And what really shocked me is I'd never heard that term. My wife, who had been going to conventions long before me, had never heard that term. But we were at an anime convention last January, last year. Uh-huh. There was a line for something, and uh, someone said something about being a line groupie. <laughs> And it just, it made me feel good. I'm like, line groupie, I'm in, I'm in. What are we waiting for, don't? No, it's fun. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so I, I don't know if I was the one that, that inspired that. That coined the that term. That coined the term, but. Did you make fetch happen? <laughs> Look, fetch is not going to happen. Stop oh. trying to make it happen. <laughs> If you're at a convention and you hear line groupie, think of me. Absolutely. All right. I, yeah. I will do that. I will do that. Jeremy Duff claims line groupie. I do. I claim it as my own. Excellent. Excellent. I love that. I Trademark. love that. I think the fact that Galaxy Quest is, you know, we didn't really talk about like what were the science fiction tropes mm-hmm. that Galaxy Quest made fun of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because, and there's a long list of them, yes. but. But I think one of the things that it got right was the fact that in order to have a movie that commented on fandom, you had to have the convention mm-hmm. beca- and the cosplay. Not, o- not only did it serve as a plot device to allow the Thermians to look as weird as they looked and for nobody to question it. Exactly. I yes. mean, it did that. But simultaneously, by having the con, the con is nerd church. The mm-hmm. con is where... Yeah. Those who, back in their own regular lives, feel weird, excluded, alone, mm-hmm, separated, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Conventions is where we can get together and feel like we belong to something bigger than mm-hmm. ourselves. Mm-hmm. Where we don't feel weird, we feel accepted, embraced, mm-hmm. we feel loved, we feel connected, we feel our knowledge and our love and our excitement and our... Uh, choices and the way we spend our time and the things that we do at home are are brought together and shared in common. It, it really is a spiritual experience mm-hmm. from that point of view of being connected to somebody else through a shared love of something bigger than ourselves. Mm. And also that interesting relationship between artist and fan, between creator and fans that creators create for fans and fans make creator, you know, fans make creations possible. You mm-hmm. know, that 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 interesting back and forth. I didn't say that really great, but <laughs> uh, hopefully you get some idea of what I mean. It's a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, that's the word I was thinking of. Yes, yes absolutely. Fans and creators. Indeed. Indeed. I, I recommend you find a, a con that... Uh... That appeals to you. I, I have I have always wanted to go. Mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. the time that I really wanted to go was also about the time I started having children. Yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> and they... as as you've already mentioned, suddenly the amount of funds for non necessary <laughs> things goes See, the, through the floor. So what you do then is you get your kids so involved with it <laughs> that they're willing to put up their own money to go to all right all right all right i'm yeah, into that it, i'm into that it works, it works. I'm, I'm on my way my yeah. son definitely would do that oh yeah no, now he's would. got his first grown-up job so yeah we could do that yeah
For our fun segment mm-hmm. for this episode, I was I was worried that this was going to be difficult to prepare, and turns out it was not difficult at all, <laughs> which is always great. Here's the game that uh, that I have come up with. I'm calling it Name the Source of the Catchphrase, oh. or more specifically, maybe maybe better name is just Sci-Fi Catchphrases. Name. The name the franchise. So I I discovered that on Wikipedia, they have an entire Wikipedia page called Science Fiction Catchphrases. Why, why am I not surprised? I know, I know. Why would I have questioned? Now, interestingly, they have a subpage, a subcategory page that is nothing but Star Trek sayings. <laughs> Star Trek has its whole uh, its whole other category. <laughs> I'll save those for later. Okay. But I thought what I would what might be fun is I will read a selection of the catchphrases from the Wikipedia science fiction catchphrases list here, and you have to try to identify as best you can either the franchise or the exact source of the catchphrase. Okay. Okay? All right, so let me see. Which, uh, which Let us start with this one. Bite my shiny metal ass. Bite my shiny metal ass? Mm-hmm. That, that sounds like something that uh, Bender would say in future. That's exactly right! <laughs> All right! Well done, well done you. Yes, I was going to give you a hint. Yeah, uh, no, no. And now, now I don't need to. Yeah. All right, how about this one? I will give it to you first, plain, and then okay. if you need me to, I will then do it in the accent that it is actually done in. Are you okay. ready? Yeah. Exterminate. Is that... An Arnold Schwarzenegger thing? Nope. No. So here's here's okay. how it sounds from the franchise. Exterminate! Exterminate! Oh god! Ugh. Is that Mars Attacks? Nope. No. But you're getting closer. No. Oh, getting closer. It is. How about I'll, I'll give you one more hint? Okay. Let's see. Shall I give you the franchise and you tell me who says it in the franchise, or shall I tell you who said it and then you tell me the franchise? I'm gonna go with who says it. Okay. This is the catchphrase of the race known as. The Daleks. Oh, okay. That's Doctor Who. Yes, yes. that's right. All right. Here about the. Um, oh, I I can't. But I can't. But okay. <laughs> I was like, I can't do this straight. Game over, man. Game over. Oh man. This is said by the actor Bill Paxton in one of his early well-known roles. This has a Galaxy oh. Quest connection because the okay. star of the franchise. Okay, is um, also a um, star of Galaxy Quest. Um. Oh gosh. Uh. Uh. Evil Dead. Nope. No. 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 The connection mm. is Sigourney uh, Weaver. Okay. Sigourney Weaver has commented yeah. how her Galaxy Quest character is opposite from this other character. Of course, when you when when you go there, my brain immediately goes blank. You know <laughs> of this, course, right? of course, yes. Right. The more right. hints I give you, the less you're able to say. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Game over, man. Game over. I, I calling it for time. Yes. Aliens. Oh, okay. James Cameron's Aliens. Oh, yes. The second in the Alien franchise. Why? Why is that a name that didn't even pop into my head? <laughs> I don't know. I like Bill Paxton. Though. All right. Get away from her, you bitch. I immediately think of of Harry Potter, and um, oh I, yes, yeah, is, yeah. Is, <laughs> not my daughter, you bitch. Yep, yep. We just did oh, that one. Oh God. <laughs> You're gonna kick yourself. Yes, I will. I'm sure I will. 
It's and also Aliens. Also it's the aliens? same franchise. Okay. They're right next to each other. Alphabetical. Uh, These are all alphabetical. So, okay. Yeah, get away from her, you bitch, is uh, Ellen Ripley's famous comment when she is in the exosuit yes. fighting the alien That's... queen, protecting the, the girl. All right. Get to the chopper. <laughs> if you want to live. <laughs> Fun fact. I got to tell you, there is a, a death metal band called Austrian Death Machine, okay? <laughs> okay. They, they make their songs based entirely off of Arnie movies. That's hilarious. And Predator, they have a song based on Predator too. That's great. Predator is correct. Yes. That's awesome. Right. Get your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. Was that Planet of the Apes? Planet of the Apes. There we go. Original. The original the one. The OG, 1968. Yes. yes. All right. How about I Am Inevitable? That one is sitting right there in my brain. I want to say Matrix. Nope. No, because it sounds like something that Agent Smith would say, though. It's a, it's a, yes, it yeah. does. You're right. It, it, I, this, I get that. Yes, That's yeah. fun. But nope. Here, I'll give you a hint. Okay. Oh, Thanos. There yes. you go. <laughs> yes. I can do this all day. <laughs> I think that that actually shows up in multiple films. Probably, but but it, but it most recently made most famous by America's ass. Yeah, oh yeah, no, no, I know, I know, is Captain America. But I'm trying yeah, to Steve think. Steve Rogers. Steve Rogers, but I'm trying to remember the exact context of it. Oh, that was in the original, um, uh, the original Captain America when he is fighting in. The Bronx Alley. That's right. Right. That's He's like, right. I could yep. do this all day. Very early. Yes. yes. When he was little windy, there we go. Steve. Yes. 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 I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. That was Army of the Dead. Yeah. That, I or, or, um, the Evil Dead. Nope. No? Anyway, the well, the link in Wikipedia links it, it to They Live. They Live? 1988 American science fiction action thriller horror by John Carpenter. Oh, okay. They okay. Live. Yeah, maybe I was... Uh, so I you're don't in, the know, right, in the right genre. In the, in the right genre. But then then again, it also shows up in Duke Nukem 3D, which is a video game. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah. How about, uh, I'm sorry, Dave. <laughs> I can't help but remember a TikTok where they show that, only it's Alexa. Yes, yes, that's, yes, I've seen <laughs> so that So any, anyone that has that an one. Amazon device nearby, it's, not, it's now sitting there waiting for me to say a command. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, 2001 is Space Odyssey. There you go. Yes, okay. How about... I didn't know if you needed more from that. Nope. Okay. How about in space, no one can hear you scream? That was Alien. Yes! The original good. Alien, yes. Aliens. Well done, yeah. well done. Klaatu Barada Nikto. I had mm. heard this expression. Yeah. I did not know where, I, I couldn't remember where it came from. I, I don't know, but that I've is, heard it too. That is from The Day the Earth Stood Still. Oh. 1951. The original 1951. Original 1951 film. Not, not the remake with um, uh, uh, Keanu Reeves in it, is nope, it? Nope, nope. Okay. This is from the original. In the original, the the alien Klaatu says that's that's what the alien says. Klaatu huh. barada nikto. Okay. How about I'll give you an easy one. Let the Wookiee win. That that's got to be a Star Trek reference. Well, yeah. I... 
obviously. <laughs> Which movie? <laughs> did, did you even catch that, Jared? No. No, I said that's got to be a Star Trek reference. Oh, I did not. I yeah, missed him. Wow. I, I clearly I was not you, listening that, that, to that, you. That went. Yeah. So that is so right. sad. Uh, terrible. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, I know that was Han Solo that said that. Yes. Yeah. Neil to Zod. Is that Ghostbusters? Nope. No, no. I don't know why I thought Ghostbusters was that one, but Zool was Ghostbusters. That's right, right. How about if I added Neil to General Zod, but the line was Neil to Zod. Drawing a blank, man. I'm that was from the Christopher Reeve film Superman Two. Oh, oh yes, General yeah. Zod of the Three Kryptonians. Yes. No, and I, I, I do remember that. The whole fight and and everything in the, the the crystal room and whatnot, but it's been a minute minute and a half since I've seen that film. How about Nanu Nanu? <laughs> <laughs> the greatest comedian of all time, and I'm pulling my earlobes. <laughs> if, if that's if that's not enough of an answer, I can continue further here. <laughs> Well, I think for those who might not yes. know it, you should That's just say. Mork and Mindy. Mork and Mindy. There we Very go. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think All we have right. to that, end that there. was fun. I like that. That was like really that. good. When we may have to bring that one back. By Grabthar's Hammer. That was a fun game. And now we come to one of our favorite segments of Two Guys in a Franchise, where we spin the Wheel of Random Episode Selection for our next episode. In our next episode, we will be talking about the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Phase 2. We will be doing a what we like to call a quintessential episode, in which both Jeremy and I will bring a piece of the franchise that we believe is quintessential, a quintessential expression, an excellent, an archetype, a, a perfection, a logos, if you will, of, of that franchise. And so we are going to spin the wheel to see which movie, in this case, we are going to watch from the MCU Phase 2. Our options include, Phase 2 includes Iron Man 3, Thor The Dark World, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers Age of Ultron, and Ant-Man. Ant-Man! So that is phase two, so I'm going to spin the wheel and we will see what we will watch and discuss for your listening pleasure next episode. It's going to be what's it going to be. Avengers Age, Age of, of Ultron! Ultron. That, right. I think that started the dark timeline with the Avengers. Avengers Age of Ultron, the movie, the, that is the second that. Avengers movie, also directed by Joss Whedon. I love um, Joss Whedon. With the amazing performance by James Spader as Ultron, him, mm -hmm. the voice of Ultron, giving that amazing voice also performance. Also the introduction of the Scarlet Witch. Yes. Yes, it is. That's right. That's and exactly right. Yes. Her brother. Yes. Yes. So that I like the movie. It it is, in my opinion, where I think the Avengers started taking that darker turn. Mm. I think it took the darker turn there. So. Well, we'll talk more about yeah. that next week when we talk about Avengers: Age of Ultron. Mm -hmm.
Jeremy, would you do the honors? <laughs> Why? Is it because you can't spell franchise? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> if you would like to reach out to us, give us some comments, some feedback, and we could always use your help with this. You can reach us at feedback at two guys in a franchise. That is F-E-E-D-B-A-C-K at symbol T-W-O-G-U-Y-S A. A N D F R A N C H I S E dot C O M. Or you can uh, check out our website, two guys in a franchise dot com. T W O G U Y S A N D A F R A N C H I S E. Jair, I saw you yawn there. Don't be jelly. I did not. Com. I did not yawn. <laughs> I rolled my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Personally, I believe our audience can probably spell two guys in a franchise. But can you? <laughs> All right, everybody. We hope you have a nerdy, a nerdy week. week. <laughs> <laughs>